Hello, and welcome to Books, the podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And we are booksmen. Yes. Brooksmen. Groomsmen. Groomsmen? Groomsmen. For who? Yeah, we've we've been groomsmen together. Yeah, we have been groomsmen together a few times, or at least twice. Twice, right? Paul? Paul and AJ. I think that's it. Have we been to weddings where one of us has been a groomsman and one of us not? Um, We almost had one of those situations this past summer, but um, COVID took care of that one. (laughs) They're both dead. We (laughs) no, but uh, oh, COVID! COVID kept us uh, from fighting. Right, me being jealous that you were a groomsman and I wasn't in the wedding. Always the groomsman, never. Just a invitee to the wedding. <laughs> no, I've never. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, well, I think I don't. I don't I think, think that's, I've ever. I think that's in our contract that we have to be. <laughs> one of us is a groomsman, and the other one has to be. Yeah, and also people tend to balk at our get a, appearance. We get a fees. cut of the door. Yeah. Yeah, people do balk at our appearance fee, but when push comes to shove, they usually pay it. I gave a best man speech, especially because we so uh, long. everything goes up five uh, percent uh, in a day in the week leading up to the wedding. If you don't book us, wait, what? How does that work? Where it's like you got to book us by a week before, or else every day you wait, the fee goes up higher and higher. If you're going to try and play chicken with us, mm. is that a thing that happens? Is yeah, that I mean, I handle technique? all the money stuff with the with our wedding appearances, but. What yeah. were you saying? And you'll get me that money? Eventually, once it's okay. fully vested. Great, yeah. Uh, you were saying you gave a very long best man speech? Yeah, and looking back, um, I think I probably should have Was it your brother's it. wedding? Yeah, I feel like I should have cut it down like 70%. Yeah, how long was it? Oh, uh, you know, 65, 70 minutes. That's not too long. I was a little drunk and I mispronounced. I called his wife the wrong name. Oh Jesus Christ, Tim! You're gonna wind up on America's Funniest Videos doing that shit like that. That was, I wish. No, <laughs> that, I wish that happened. That I could potentially win ten thousand dollars. No, a, what happened is this lady was mad at me for the last eight years. <laughs> was it? Like, she brings it up all the time. Well, too. I I would do that. Was it like the name of like his ex girlfriend or? anything weird and bad like that no truth be told i didn't know her name it was nerves and me slurring her name and the way that i slurred her name made it sound like another name okay i know i was i've only been a best man once for my brother and uh uh, I was very disappointed when I got the wedding DVD that my entire speech was not in there. I thought for sure it would be in the bonus section. It did have interactive menus. Did it have alternate angles? No. And my brother and his wife got married in Ireland. And so the reason why I even had this in the first place was because my sister-in-law was like, hey, we got the DVD finally from the wedding photographer. And even though I had spoken with him multiple times about this, it is in a different region than the country we live in. Like, do you know if there's anything that can be done here? So I was like, oh, yeah, I can. I can." Were you like, uh, listen, Sally, uh, you came to the right place. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, mail it to me. I'll, I'll rip it and, uh, you know, get it back to you. And, Rip it uh, and flip it. Yeah, and I should have asked for the the raw footage that I could have edited my speech back in there in, in so its they entirety. Took out your, they took out your entire speech, or they took out a part of your speech? Uh, there was just like a brief clip. It was like, you know, maybe like a 20, 30-minute highlight. And, you know, there's like maybe one joke that I got in there, you know, to, mm. to lighten the mood. But uh, I would like to see more. I mean, I told you that I've said this on the podcast that I didn't know at Irish weddings that the uh, the groomsman is the MC for the night. And boy, when they told me that, I was fucking thrilled. (laughs) Yeah, 
Um, I'm not surprised they cut out a lot of your jokes. Um, due to your personality, a lot of your jokes are really mean. <laughs> no, it was... They, any of that could just be chalked up to uh, uh, my American humor. That's why I kept. Yeah. Sa- that's why Some I kept people saying hate Americans. <laughs> Whenever uh, a joke fell flat, I would say, oh, "I guess you guys don't have that over here." <laughs> I mean, that's that's what we do on stage in the UK exactly. and Ireland all the time. <laughs> exactly, damn it! It worked just as well. That's how we console each other at the bar after the show. Like they must not just—they just must not have all this stuff over here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think ever since the war, things have been. Uh, I think they're still rationing things here. I think that's why they didn't get our some of our food jokes. Tom, do you have any trivia you want to share this week? <sighs> Boy, do I have some trivia for this for you this week, Tim. Uh, and I like the idea that this show, uh, being the after show for the regular podcast uh, that comes out later in the week, that sometimes you, much like a DVD with interactive menus, you get a bonus feature, which is uh, sometimes content that was cut for time. Uh, and in, I'm a complete guy to everything. A yeah. different podcast that you don't need to worry about. And in this case, uh, the content that was cut for time was I told you before we started that I had a very good piece of trivia for you. And here it is. Tim, who was, can you name for me, the first celebrity with their own website that they controlled and you know uh, were were in charge of the content on there actually put content not i'm not talking about like you know some big celebrity like a like a, a tom cruise that you know bought some lawyer bought tomcruise.com and you went there and there was a picture of tom cruise smiling so not the first official celebrity website but the first like actual website that a celebrity maintain what's the webmaster yeah, of him or herself? right that like engaged with like oh this is a thing i can like put content on reginald vell johnson no is it some is this a gettable answer no i don't think you'd ever guess this in a million years joaquin phoenix no do you want me to tell you kevin bacon <laughs> rodney dangerfield Oh, wow. To this day, his website, Rodney.com. Really? For 19.95, he got in on that. Love Rodney Dangerfield. Love him with all my heart. I, I, went, I did a Rodney Dangerfield deep dive this week. Uh, They're trying to get a, a statue of him erected in our hometown, which yeah. is also Rodney Dangerfield's hometown. Yes, where he was born. Uh, and... Uh, they, did you know that they finally pinned down like exactly where his house was? Um, yeah, it's, it's near the baseball fields, right? No, that's what I had originally heard, but it's actually the parking lot in between the train station and the high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, cause the article I read said that the high school bought that land, that they own it, but I was like, that's where the train station parking lot is. But anyway, <laughs> listeners of this probably aren't. No, no, this is really cool. God but but it, was, it, it was like, I don't know, some like 12 family home. I think it was like apartments or something and uh, bulldoze. But uh, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, apparently like a genuinely great guy that uh, people have nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, yeah. That They said one of the big things about him was that he was never jealous of other comedians, which is the, the f- f- you know, a, a common negative trait of many, uh, you know, even incredibly successful and famous comedians that he when he would see like a young comedian that he thought had talent, he did like everything he could to help them out. Uh, and one of those people was uh, Jim Carrey. Hmm. He saw a very young, rubber-faced man himself. He saw a very young Jim Carrey and was like, this guy's got it. Yeah, I'm going to try and help him out in any way I can. Um, well, he thought it would finally uh, earn get, him some respect. Exactly. Um, also that he did not like when people in real life confused him for his character. Which is uh. weird because, like, I don't think you can, like, find footage of him out of character. Like, he was always in character. 
Um, but that, uh, oh, and also apparently, uh, he wrote a, he wrote a autobiography that maybe will be up for a books, a podcast, uh, uh, book, I can't a, book imagine. of the month. I, I can't imagine anybody's happy with this conversation we're having right now, <laughs> let alone a whole discussion about his autobiography. Um, but the, the autobiography, let me, let me, uh, look up what the name of it was. Autobiography. There's not enough, uh, Dangerfield content out there in 2020. You're telling me. Why does it not say it's, it's like, you know, the name, oh, I don't get no respect is, is the name of his biography, I think. Mm. Um, or yeah, it's not easy being me a lifetime of no respect, uh, but plenty of sex and drugs. Um, but apparently the name he wanted that the publisher was like, no, 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 was like, I love marijuana. <laughs> he loved weed. Yeah, he which was I was also guy. surprised. He was a drugs he was, man. He was a huge drugs man. And uh, yeah. he was like, when he was in the hospital before he died at like 82, like the nurses were mad because he wouldn't stop smoking weed in his in his hospital room. And this is like, you know, this is going back. So it's like, yeah, you know, things weren't like they are now where they're even in legal, uh, illegal states. It's still like pretty lenient. Like back then it was yeah. like, oh, no, they could you you got the wrong cops. They would be happy to go arrest an 82 year old man in the hospital and put him in Rikers for 30 years. Yeah, especially him. Yeah. They, they wouldn't. They wouldn't uh, respect him. Exactly. So he doesn't the, command it. Those are just a few uh, uh, tidbits about Rodney Dangerfield. But the website thing I found fascinating. Rodney dot yeah. Rodney Check Rodney it out. Com. We should. Uh, we should try to get that. <laughs> I don't think Tim has had it for for twenty five yeah. years now. Got news for you, man. The the man's dead. There are still people maintaining as well. I think it might. Uh, I don't know if his wife is still with us, but it might be her. Apparently, it was her idea. Yeah, I and tell you, when I was a kid, I had it rough. Once on my birthday, my old man gave me a bat. The first day I played with it, it flew away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. From my wife, I don't get no respect. I fell asleep with a cigarette in my hand. My wife lit it. <laughs> yeah, to try and kill him. Yeah. I know I'm ugly. I tell my doctor I want to get a vasectomy. He said with a face like mine, I don't need one. <laughs> and the thing is, he was very ugly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't know. No, these, uh, I can't lose any weight. I tried jogging. I keep running into restaurants. <laughs> that's like a that's like a Kathy cartoon, that one. Though. <laughs> right. Well, he ghost wrote uh, a lot of uh, Kathy yeah uh cartoons um i was also reminded of uh uh do you remember this movie that he put out uh uh meet wally sparks oh yeah i remember meet wally sparks <laughs> yeah it was just him being like a dirty old man the whole time right yeah yeah Walking it came out in 1997 a- uh the reason why this is all on my mind is uh uh, on YouTube, I subscribed to Conan O'Brien's channel, and they posted uh, a clip from when he was promoting Meet Wally Sparks. <laughs> um, and like they play a clip of the movie, and it's just like him being a horn dog for a minute. <laughs> uh, but he plugs his website, and it's like very awkward because it's 1997. So like he's kind of trying to explain what a website is, but he doesn't have a firm grasp on it. But uh, but yeah, anyway. Rodney Dangerfield, well, a great man. Hey, and now, on to the books. Yeah. Uh, Tim, do you remember, uh, you know, not to go through the whole thing, but where we left off last week? What happened Ooh. at the end? The press is there. Mm-hmm. He blew up a good portion of the building. Yes. Um, I don't. I don't remember. So where we left off was the police helicopters coming in and shooting at the building. Oh, him right. also and then they had on a the grenade roof. launcher. Yeah, and they blew up a helicopter, and he jumped off the roof, tied to a fire hose, and right. went in through a window on the, I guess, presumably fortieth floor. Um, so that's where we left off. It is now seven oh four a.m. 
he he's like, all right, they probably think I'm dead because they probably didn't get the like maybe they saw me fall off the building. They probably didn't think I had a fire hose tied to me. Even if they did think that they probably thought, well, that didn't work. That wouldn't work. Um, so he's like, they probably think I'm dead. Let them think I'm dead. You know, this whole book, he's all about uh, trying to get them to underestimate him. That's uh, what I do in life. Tom. One day I'm just going to sucker punch you and you'll be like, you were, you, <laughs> I underestimated you. I mean, yeah, you can always just sucker punch me. It's not like, yeah, well, you're right, Tim. For the first 10 years around you, I always had my guard up, afraid you were going to sucker punch me. Oh, uh, you'll see. Um, so uh, he's, you know, he's like regrouping himself, basically. And uh, he's just thinking about like being a cop and how like nobody really wants to and how like he's probably going to get screwed after all this. And he's like, nobody wants to know like what cops or soldiers like really have to do. And then he's singing, nobody wants to know what death really looks like. And then he's going over the number of cattle, pigs and chicken that are slaughtered every day. And oh wow! And yeah, so he he goes on like a a, a real vegetarian kick here. Because a regular Linda McCartney. Yeah, and he's like, you know, and and people don't want to see that. People don't know how that stuff happens. You know, they want it kept away from them. Uh, but then he so he's like, All hey right. Tom, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everyone would be a vegetarian. I mean, not me, probably still, because I don't live next to a slaughterhouse. Yeah, but if you, I bet if you went to a slaughterhouse, if you stood on a slaughterhouse, you know, you know, oh, took the tour, almost certainly. I think for at least a week, you'd be like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to eat a burger. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why you don't frequently find slaughterhouse tours being offered. <laughs> yeah, um, but so he knows that there are five left in the building uh, because he's been counting. There were twelve. Uh, he's killed seven of them. There are five left. And he's like, all right, what am I going to do now? So he mm-hmm. comes up with a plan. He writes a note in, uh, on a piece of paper and ties it to a, uh, like a staple gun or a stapler or something and throws it out the window. And when he gets thrown out the window, he hears like the crowd cheering outside and that, like, know. chills him to his bone because he's like, well, fuck, I wanted that to look. I didn't want anybody to really notice that. But also he's like, I don't like that there's an audience here for this. Yeah. Like, this is not a good, this is not entertainment. Um, Tell that to the American public when they made this into a movie. Exactly. Um well, so along those lines, then he decide he finds a TV on one of the floors, so he's watching it on TV. Um, and uh, uh, they're interviewing Kathy Logan again, the the flight attendant, and she's like telling a reporter, "Well, like you know, Joe Leland, he's a man uh, who lives by his own rules," and she's going on and on. I'm like, this lady, you know, made out with him in the galley of a. Airplane. She doesn't know about it, what he lives by his own rules and all this. Mm-hmm. Maybe he told her that. Maybe he whispered that in her ne- in her ears. It was one of the sweet well, nothings. I mean, she may have been pretty perceptive. I mean, on it. Well, you know what? I take it back because he was making out with a flight attendant on a flight. That that does sound like he's making up his own rules because I've been told that that is a rule uh, on planes. Yeah. Here. Well, the flight attendants say, "Sir, please stop trying to." kiss me in the galley yeah but then they tell me like it's a rule like otherwise i would do it but it's a rule uh so i'm like all right well i'm going to la maybe i can immediately drive to san diego once we get off the plane and uh coming out with you um and then they got a. Uh, so oh here's another thing uh last week i was confused and i was referring to um oh, what was the name of it I got confused about the 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 names of some people, which frequently happens to me in books. Um, and in real life. Uh, well, absolutely. Um, Quick, what's my name? Todd. The, got lucky. The, the, 
I, I think I was saying that the cops, the cop he was hang, he was talking with, uh, his name was Hinkenlooper or or something like that. Yeah, that that wasn't his name. That's the name of the police station. The the which was I was very confused reading this because I was like, what? I thought they said this guy's name Were was Sergeant stoned? Powell. Were you no, stoned? No, I wasn't stoned. Weed? I was I was drunk. I was blackout drunk reading the book. But um well, that's when your mind r- runs the best. <laughs> that's what Hemingway said. Read drunk, podcast sober. That's it. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, the second part you didn't do. No, he was he was a, a soothsayer. Uh, People don't know that. He would go into trances and predict future technologies. No, what I'm saying is that you were not podcasting sober. You read drunk. You're right. And then you I, I, drunk. I only listened to the first half of the advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, the cop that he's been buddy-buddy with is Sergeant Powell. Now they get Sergeant Powell on TV, and he's, like, making jokes, like, uh, on TV. And it's like, a bunch of cops are dead. <laughs> we know civilians are dead. I know it's a tense situation, but maybe don't joke on TV. That might not go over that well. Um, I would appreciate it. I like the <laughs> police chief with a good sense of humor. Yeah, that's what we didn't get on 9-11. Just, you know, somebody coming in adding some levity to the situation. Yeah, lighten the mood. Um, help us through. The note, the note that he threw out the window, he doesn't say what it said because it's kind of like, well, I want the plan to be a secret to the reader. Um, but the note said basically like stop Tell tell people to stop jamming the radio. Get off the radio if they're not a cop, and wait for me to make first contact uh, because I want them to think that I'm dead. Um, and he gets the impression from Powell on TV, like, okay, they got the note. He read it. He gets it. Um, and now he's like trying to think about, you know, he's kind of taking some time here to regroup and he's thinking about the terrorist plan. And he's like, what the hell is their plan here? They've got so much explosives. They've got more explosives than they need to get into the building, to get into the bank. So he figures out or, or presumes he's like, oh, I bet their plan is. That they're that they they were gonna rig this whole place with explosives. They can defend the whole thing, and they were gonna, uh, you know, because this happened a lot in the you know in the seventies or a lot of like plane hijackings and stuff. That mm-hmm. they were going to uh, basically say, all right, we want a helicopter to LAX and then a private plane to you know wherever. And we're going to have the remote detonator. And if we see any shenanigans, we're going to detonate. You know, the, all the hostages will still be in there and the whole building will go down. Um, so he's like, OK, that's probably what their plan is. He's also uh, very hungry. That's There's got to be a better way to make a buck in this day and age. Well, we find out later what the terrorists. It, it wasn't just about making a buck. Okay. Um, but then he's hungry and he's like, wait a minute. What am I nuts? I'm in an office. Women who work in offices, secretaries, they love eating food. These offices, these desks must be full of food. These are his thoughts, not my thoughts, Tim. Um, (laughs) but here is the food that he finds in the, in the desk, which I only one of these things I've I've ever heard of as a food. The first is diet crunchies. Okay. What do you think that is? Yeah, some diet snack food thing that was, uh, you know. Oh, there's all <laughs> sorts of I don't know the brand name of of snack foods there. You know, yeah, like, uh, yeah. I guess it was like the late seventies. There might have been weird stuff that they know now, like. Yeah, we can't put lead in food anymore. We don't yeah. have these diet crunchies anymore. Remember the whole uh, Olestra thing? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You've engineered a new fat that won't be absorbed by your body. Right. Like, yeah, and, and that was like the 90s. Right. And people were like, yeah, that sounds great. And the scientists were like, yeah, it's great. And nobody thought like, what will happen to the fat if the body doesn't absorb it? What happens will it just to- just leak out your butthole while you're going about your everyday yeah, life? Well, what happens to food when you're... When you eat something, but your body can't absorb it, what happens with that food? And we're not talking about something big. We're talking about molecules here. <laughs> um, 
I think they still make a lustrous stuff. I think so. But they do not market it nearly as heavily as they did. It's no. a great idea. I remember they had uh, Miss Piggy in those potato chips. Yeah. They should have called them like, uh, you know, toilet chips or something. Yeah. Like, here's a snack you can eat on the toilet. Well, and also, in intervening years, in the 90s, the 90s were real big with like, you know what the bad thing to eat is fat. Fat is the worst thing you can eat. Fat will make you fat. It's right there in the name. And nowadays, it's like, no, 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 no. Sugar and carbohydrates. Fats are actually good for you. Um, That's no calories to products. Anyway, sorry. The diet crispies or crunchies. They should make potato chips with starch that's too big to uh, to digest. Hmm. But you get all that good fat. Anyway, diet crunchies. The this, sec- are, are you back on the on the keto diet? No, I am not. Okay. <laughs> uh, the second Talking one. Talking like you are, my friend. <laughs> the second one, envelopes of soup. Hmm. Okay. You know, like a French onion soup mix. That's what I realized later. Like, oh, that's what it is. But then I'm like. Come on, is Joe Leland really gonna like go find a kettle, heat up some water, and make a a cup of soup? Also, if you're starving, like, I mean, I guess a cup of soup's better than nothing, but I think it's just gonna like trick your body. I mean, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, and uh, that's what Olestra was doing. Jars of instant coffee, which you know, in the seventies and eighties, instant coffee was a big thing, even though it tastes like shit. Uh, but it's we don't find we don't find what he actually uh, what he actually did because we we skip ahead and uh, almost two hours eight four eight forty two a.m. and now he uh, he goes and finds like a bathroom to kind of clean up mm-hmm. and he says um, when he's walking he can feel the crust in his crotch when he moved his legs that's how dirty he is. Um, and that Why was he that dirty? What did he do that got so him? He was so dirty? climbing through the freaking air vents. He's covered in his own and other people's blood. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot that he got shot. Yeah, he got like grazed, but then like he also got other people's blood on him in fights. Yeah. It was mostly though. He's just like covered in soot from being in the air vent. Um. Uh, and he's thinking if he lived through this, he was going to feel pain for the rest of his life. He's, you know, he's, an, he's an older guy. So he's like, oh, yeah, there's no way I'm going to bounce back from all of this. Like some of this shit's going to bother me forever, which I could relate to as uh, as you get older, as you start realizing like, oh, no, like, uh, you know, I broke my thumb a couple of months ago. And mm-hmm. uh, the other day was the first time since it's healed that I've been outside when it's like really cold. I was like, oh, when it's really cold, I can feel where my thumb broke now. Uh, yeah. Like, ah, yeah, I guess that's just going to always be it's a the thing. the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, You're going to have to move to a warmer climate. I would love to. Um, so he's waiting now. Uh, he's basically waiting for them because he's like, they, they think I'm dead. Let me wait them out. He's waiting on 30 on the 37th floor. He hears the elevator coming up. So he's like, all right. I'm going to ambush him. The elevator doors open. He just sticks his gun in and starts shooting. And, you know, he waits a few seconds and then peeks in. And uh, there's nobody in there. There's just a camera, like a TV camera on a tripod. And he's like, ah, these sons of bitches, they were were videotaping me. So he takes the camera, throws it out the window, which I think is probably unnecessary. But, yeah, I think he's gotten used to throwing things out the window. It's pretty fun. Yeah, he's been throwing a lot of things out of the window and off the top of that building. Yeah, sometimes even people. Uh, David Letterman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the Oh, no, this is when... I'm sorry. This is when... So I think he threw a note out with his wallet. Yeah, he wrote a note out and threw that into the crowd. But now is when he, he ties the note to a staple gun. Um, and basically his idea is... Hey, I I can see I'm on TV. Um, they can see uh, they're obviously watching TV. What I want you guys to do is like talk to the news, get them to like broadcast me 
right now. Get them to record me right now, but then broadcast that later and and put the Chiron that it's live. And then that like, way uh, I can... Like in speed. Right. Then what... Does that happen in speed? Uh, they loop the tape. Um, right, to, yes. To make yeah. uh, Dennis Hopper think that everybody's sitting on the bus. Right. So, like, let me fool them. You know, if, if they think I'm on this floor, they're going to come ambush me, but then I can ambush them. Um, the uh, Unfortunately, the terrorists immediately see through this plan and immediately come shooting at him where he's hiding. Um he he goes and runs and hides. He he like sees and hears somebody in the stairwell, but they don't see him. So he's like, oh, I'm going to get the jump on this guy. So he waits outside the door. And he's like, all right, two things are going to happen. Either this guy's going to come in through the door or he's not. He's going to keep going upstairs and then I'll be able to sneak up behind him. He comes through the door. Leland uh, hits him with an axe. Jeepers, creepers. Where'd he get an axe? Uh, it was like a fire axe. Hits him with the axe, knocks the gun out of his hand, hits him again with the axe in a way that isn't clear, but he says the guy's still alive, but can't speak anymore. (laughs) And then uh, uh, quite literally buries the hatchet in his head. Nice. Is that a line from the book? No, that's me. Uh, But then... uh, Put your own spin on it. (laughs) Yeah. He should have afterwards said, hey, let's bury the hatchet. But yeah. um, uh, that kills him. You know, once he acts somebody in the head, that's hard to bounce back from. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he gets on the phone. He talks to Kathy again. Uh, he just keeps talking to Kathy. It's kind of crazy. Um, uh, oh, but he's talking to Kathy now. But that's being broadcast on TV, like uh, through Taco Bill. Like Taco Bill is broadcasting the TV signal to him, to Joe, so he can hear it. But Joe's left the TV running somewhere else. So he's like, oh, they're going to think I'm watching the TV. Otherwise, how am I seeing all this? Something like that. It's confusing. But basically, he's going to ambush a guy again. And he does that. And he shoots the guy. Uh, Let me see. He shoots him. And then uh, after that, he talks to Gruber. And now he's like, yeah, I've killed, you know, I don't know. I think he doesn't tell him that he's killed two more guys because he doesn't want him to know. Uh, I think he assumes he knows he killed the guy with the gun because he heard the gunshots, but he doesn't know about the axe guy. Uh, But he's like, yeah, like, I'm really looking forward to killing you, Gruber. I can't wait. So he's still, you know, uh, menacing him. Right. Uh, and then he looks down, the guy that he shot is still alive. He's like, Ugh. so he has to shoot him in the head to, to kill him, to finish mm-hmm. him off. And now on the, the police radio, um, they're like, uh, the mayor and the president of the company are here. Which one would you like to speak to? And he's like, I don't want to speak to either of them. Why do I care? <laughs> he's like, I don't live here. I don't care about the mayor. And also like, fuck this oil company. I don't want to talk to him either. Um, but while that's happening, uh, Gruber breaks in and he's like, yeah, but Joe, maybe you would like to talk to your daughter. She would like to speak with you. Oh no, he knows. Yeah, he knows. So now like the fucking jig is up 10 AM Pacific standard time. Um, Gruber's thinking about what, what he's been doing. Uh, uh or well, not Gruber, uh, Joe, Gruber explains to Joe, he's like, do you know what you're doing right now? He's like, you're protecting millions of dollars that have been stolen from Chile, from the people of Chile. This oil company has just gone and like stolen their resources. And like, this is what you're doing. This is what you're like killing people over and risking your life for to protect this, you know, oil company. That's not what Joe's doing. Joe's trying to free the hostages. Right. But Joe's, but like Joe's also kind of thinking like, yeah, this guy's not wrong. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm trying to save these hostages, but like, he's not wrong. Screw this company. Um, He hears an explosion uh, above him and he's like, that's, that must be the safe. They got the safe open. It sounds like he's, so now he's like, all right, I know where pretty much everybody is because they're probably all by that safe. Well, he knows that that there's only three people left. He's like, there's a guy downstairs. 
there's Gruber and there's whoever just blew up the safe. And there, I, I forget how, but he, he figures out that Gruber is probably with the person with the safe. So he's like, nobody's watching the hostages. So he runs down to the floor where the hostages are, sneaks in. And he's like, hey, you. And somebody turns around. He's like, shh, come on. Like, get out of here. And like, pass it on. Like, whisper to everybody else. So they do that. But then he's like, uh, um, uh, it's working for a bit, but then, uh, uh, somebody screams, somebody's, you know, like two on edge gets like tapped on the shoulder and screams. So, you know, all hell goes loose, uh, breaks loose. Uh, he sees his grandkids. Finally, his grandkids are there. Um, and he's like, you know, he tells his granddaughter, like, you go to your, go to your brother and like, get out of here. Like, I gotta save your mom. Um, he uh Wait, his grandkids were there the whole time and we knew this i think so but we never saw them so it was like unclear what the deal was that yeah. if there yeah, was I like mean, you didn't mention it to me tom that that there was like a i guess like a babysitting service during this party something mm-hmm. like that i don't know um uh taco bill breaks in on the radio and says to gruber listen you jive ass son of a bitch let that man's daughter go. And uh, Joe's like, Taco Bill, I appreciate it, but, you know, stand down. Let me let me handle the situation here. Um, he's this is when he goes to like the bathroom uh, to kind of like freshen up before, you know, the, the final stand here. He says uh, you, that he could scrape grease and dried blood out of his hair like it was cream cheese from a slice of bread. It's the grossest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right? That's a very good, very good, visceral, disgusting description of yeah. how I'm like, okay, now I get how gross he is. Um, and he talks about um, uh, uh, practicing a move in the mirror. And he's like, all right, this move's going to work. But we don't know what the move is yet. Um, Moonwalk. It was very hot <laughs> at the time. Uh and he's just thinking about how, like, apparently Klaxon, the oil company, has been, uh, like, not only stealing oil, but, like, giving arms to, like, the, you know, uh, Banana Republic or whatever that they've got down there to, like, keep the people that are letting them do this in power. And Joe's just like, these, it, it, all these people suck. Um, he sends an elevator up to test it. And he hears it open on 38 and hears shooting. So he's like, oh, all right. Well, that was a trap. Oh, because he tells, I skipped this. He tells Gruber, like, look, you don't want her. You want me. You got me. Like, I'll trade you me for her. And he's like, okay. Um, Tony, uh, Tony's plan is that he's going to take the $6 million from the safe and throw it out the window to all the people. Hmm. Like he's gonna redistribute the wealth like a like a Robin Hood. It's not like an efficient way to do it, but it's better than it being all in that safe, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then he's thinking about something Kathy said to him on the radio, which was that when she saw him on the TV, she said, "You look like one of them, one of the the terrorists." And he's like, "I don't look like." He's like, "Everybody I've killed has not been nearly as dirty as me." And the people I haven't killed, presumably they're still, you know, wearing like suits or whatever. So he's like, what was she talking about? And then he's like, oh, my God, that dude, Carl, that I thought I killed in the elevator by throwing the bomb down the elevator. I bet I didn't kill him. I bet I just like fucked him up a lot. And he's covered in soot just like me. But he's alive. Like uh, when... uh... The coyote gets blown up by TNT. Exactly. Uh, and he's also, I think, thinking like a few times plans he's had Gruber's seen through or like Gruber's tried the same thing. So he's I think he's also thinking like, oh, Gruber probably also is smart enough to think, oh, this guy Joe thinks one of my guys is dead. It's best to let him continue thinking that. Right. Um. But now we kind of get what the what the move is going to be because we now know that the Browning the uh, the handgun that he had is taped to his back with duct tape, so he's got it taped high up in his back, hidden. Um, 
He's thinking about his uh, loneliness, how lonely he is, and how lonely a lot of people probably are. And then he uh, he goes to Gruber. Uh, he gets up there, and Gruber's like, put your hands up and stuff. And he puts his hands up. Uh, you know, Gruber's got, like, his villain speech or whatever. And uh, um, uh, Joe Leland, realize, he's like, I got to his daughter starts screaming like kill him daddy kill him so he he like takes aim and shoots him and he like shoots him multiple times he's like too far away but he's Is he a vampire no he's like too far away to get a clean shot but he's also like all right i don't have many options here like eventually gruber is gonna like shoot me and then shoot my daughter like, I have to just try and get the drop on him. So he shoots him, blows out the window behind him with, like, a clean shot right through him. And Gruber falls out the window, but not before he grabs Stephanie's hand and pulls her out with him. Oh, my God. And uh, Joe Leland hears her screaming all the way down. Uh, and then hears the entire crowd cheering. Because they don't know that that was one of the hostages that just dropped out. Yikes. 10.38 a.m. Joe Leland is in bad shape. He is hysterical crying, screaming. Wuss. He's thinking about how he's felt this feeling before when his mother died, when he got a divorce, and then when his ex-wife died. And that feeling is... Uh, suicidal thoughts that he's like I don't I don't want to live this this hurts so much I just want to die and he's thinking a lot about that he's like looking at his gun thinking about killing himself Um, he hears the people outside yelling for their money uh, because I guess like the the plans public now like other people know Mm -hmm. so he's like you know obviously if you just watch your daughter die uh, and you're having second guesses about whether or not you did the right thing. You don't want to hear uh, people yelling for money. Throw the money down now. Well, and then he's thinking about money and how bad money is. And he says, as if it could add a day to your life. As if you could eat more than two eggs in the morning, Steinbeck once said, which is all you needed to know about the limits of life. And I was like, oh, I can eat more than two eggs in the morning. You eat more than two eggs in the morning. And having money can extend your life. Yeah, that's, you know, that buys you access to healthcare. Yeah, that that's the thing. And I feel like that idea of like, oh, money can't buy happiness, like that cliche is kind of going away because people are realizing like, eh, maybe it can't buy happiness, but it can to a point. <laughs> it can it might be not be able to buy happiness, but it can buy you out of certain miseries for sure. <laughs> um and then he realizes He's like, oh, the insurance won't cover the damages to this building because uh, it's like an act of war or something like they wouldn't have coverage for that. Uh, And he smiles about that. And then he's thinking, how much pain can you inflict on an oil company? Uh, How much could it absorb before the stockholders insisted on people going to jail? Uh, But then he's thinking they should have surrendered to fate. He... uh, uh, He's thinking about getting to the airport, and he's like, it was fate. I should have missed that flight. I pulled a gun to get on that flight, to pull to, you know, on, on the guy that hit the cab just to keep my schedule. It was as if I had been rushing to see my own daughter die. Um, and then he's just like, yeah, you know, he, he's like, I'm not going to kill myself because he's like, I, you know, the grandkids like their father's not really and that in the... hot flight attendant that's waiting for him. well he's just thinking like san the, diego baby the the flight the um he's basically thinking of he's thinking a bunch of stuff he's thinking about his grandkids he's thinking like their dad might not want them like might not really be in the picture and he's like they're not that young and i'm not that old like i could raise them i should raise them i should be there for them 
But he's also just thinking like he's pissed where he's like, this company did this to my daughter. Like this company turned my daughter into a bad person that was involved in like armed. He he believes she didn't really know what she was involved in. But, you know, with like the arms deals and stuff. But he's like, Mm -hmm. but she was still like complicit in it all. Um, So she deserved to die. That makes me feel a little bit better. No, no. He's just like, this company corrupted my daughter and they've done all these other bad things. Fuck this company. I also don't want to die yet because I want to see how much more I can fuck over this company. And then he's thinking about, uh, he he thinks about how being a cop means you know how to do crime too. (laughs) Because like, (laughs) you're around crimes. He's like, all right, I know how to do crimes. He's like, rule number one, no witnesses. And he's like, I'm not going to jail because of some corporate some corporate thief, $6 million. He's also thinking about that. He's like, they're probably going to like fucking try and charge me for some of this shit. Especially like the oil company because I've like damaged the building and all these other things. So he's like, fuck them. So he goes up to where the safe is. He finds uh, it's another like 23 year old woman um, uh, that's uh, got the safe and he like pulls a gun on her and he's like, all right, hands up. It's a redhead. And he's like, she's very beautiful um, and very young. And he's like, all right, uh, pick up that gun and bring it over here. Uh, like pick it up by the 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 uh, nozzle or whatever. Uh, so she does. She does that. You're a gunsman, Tom, huh? <laughs> she does that, and like she hands it to him, and then once again his bladder opens because huh. he's like, uh, this woman. She's like twenty three. She never got to experience life, and they uh, the line. And then he's like, and right about now she's realizing that. Um, I had her bring me that gun over before I kill her just out of like laziness, <laughs> just out of like, <laughs> it's very hard for me to move right now before I kill this person. Let me have them do me a favor. That's not going to save their life. Um, and he feels bad about it, but then he thinks about his daughter and the line is Leland thought of his dead daughter, Steffi and shot this bitch in the forehead right above the bridge of her nose. Hmm. So, you know, he's got this weird mix of guilt, but also like extreme rage at at all these uh, terrorists. But he's also thinking about how like this woman kind of got, you know, mixed up in something she probably didn't completely understand. Well, that's a life. That's a life. Much like his daughter. Um, Mm -hmm. He gets the money. He throws it out the window. Uh, six million dollars he throws out the window but he like hides from like he puts it in a chair and like rolls the chair out because he's like I don't want them getting me on camera doing this like I'll he's like they're gonna know it was me but I'll deny it till my dying day right but then he realizes and he tells he's thinking about what Kathy said and and the cops are like you did it man like come on down like we're sending the cops up to meet with the the te- the hostages that are coming down and he's like look there were 12 people i killed 11 there's one left and they're like all right joe there's no they're all gone he's like i'm telling you there's one person left and they're like all right but he's like god damn it i know there's one person left so he's like looking for that person and he's also thinking, well, maybe they'll like they'll send a helicopter to the roof to like come get me. He's like, if I go up on that helicopter, they're going to push me out of the helicopter and be like, <laughs> it was an accident. He's just basically thinking how it'd be more convenient for a lot of people if he were dead, even though he's a hero. Um, so uh, he, he decides to walk down the stairs. The police find him on the sixth floor. Uh, they they take him downstairs and, uh, you know, they're like carrying him. He's like half dead at this point. And he's thinking to himself, and I could identify with this, where he's like, uh, he dreaded the talking he was going to have to do. <laughs> because he's just thinking about how many people he's going to have to explain all of this yeah, to. And he's like, oh. Like, um, that's why I don't get myself into these kind of situations. <laughs> he gets outside. Heroes welcome. Uh, you know, the press and the cops are all over him. And that uh, that cop uh, Robinson, the the jerk captain that was trying to take charge, he's like, um, "What? How'd that money go out that window?" He's like, "I don't know." He's like, "Well, we're studying the tapes, 
uh, we want to know who got rid of the money and why. But then he looks behind him and uh, Powell is shaking his head at him like, no, nah, there are no tapes. We don't got any tapes. He's bluffing <laughs> you. So he's like, all right. Um, out of nowhere, who comes but motherfucking Carl with a Kalashnikov, uh, a machine gun, <laughs> comes out of the building and just starts firing into the crowd. So firing Whoa. into the reporters and the cops. Um Al, Al Pal, pulls Robinson into the line of fire between Carl and Joe Leland, saving Joe Leland's life by sacrificing Robinson's life, which I was like, yeah, I get Robinson's a dick, but like, I don't know if he was like, deserved to be sacrificed. Um uh, uh, and then with two clean shots, Al Powell tears the top of Carl's head off in a sheet of brains and blood. Uh, but he did get a shot off into um, Leland's uh, thigh. And Leland said that the blood felt as if someone had poured a bowl of soup in his lap. Mm, probably that soup from earlier. <laughs> right. An envelope of soup. And then uh, Leland or uh, Powell, like, you know, takes his belt off and like makes a tourniquet. And then Powell turns. and He's like, doctor, you know, we need to help him. And the doctor's dead. The doctor had been killed by Carl along with Robinson. Um, and then um, uh, Powell says something to him like, I like the way you duck behind Robinson. And then they like have a laugh because like he didn't duck behind Robinson. <laughs> Powell pushed him in front of him. And then they like end on a laughing freeze frame. And that's the end of the book. Hmm. So... If Joe Leland didn't show up at all, mm -hmm. everything would have been fine, right? Yeah, that's kind of what he realizes towards the end. Yeah. Like, they they still would have killed, uh, what's his name, uh, Ellis or something like that. Like, one of the other head honchos, but he's like, that guy sounds like he probably deserved to get killed. Um, he's involved in all this bad shit. He's like, but otherwise... Uh, they would have held all these people hostage and then probably flown off and that yeah. would have been it. So yeah, well, ultimately... Smooth move, Joe Leland. Now your daughter's dead, you piece of shit. His daughter's dead. He has to deal with the, the trauma of having uh, murdered 11 people, some of them in incredibly intimate and gruesome ways. And, uh, you know, there are hostages dead, there are police dead. Yeah. So what do you think this book was trying to say, Tom? Um, I don't know. I guess kind of... <sighs> Sometimes you got to make the best of a bad situation. 